Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Fantastic. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. And for those of you that have downloaded the app, I see a lot of cell phones out there. You got the notes in front of you. How many of you appreciate the notes in the app? Yeah, I know. And when you go on a trip, how many of you like to know where you're going? Well, the notes are kind of a, a roadmap of where we're going today. We are in this series called Live Differently. Somebody say, Live Differently. I think this is important for us as the body of Christ. We are different in order to make a difference. You know, there, there's a different spirit inside of us. And so we've been talking about what that looks like over the last several weeks. We talked out of Daniel chapter 3 and the, the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We talked about what it means to be a stand-up Christian in a bow-down world. Can I have a good amen? Amen. Uh, they may have been in Babylon, but Babylon was not in them. We talked about how we're living in modern-day Babylon, and yet there's a different spirit inside of those who name the name of Jesus, and God will give you the strength to stand when others bow. Uh, we also talked about loving differently. We talked about the importance of love and truth coming together. Um, if you have your Bibles today, I want to talk to you. There's a, there's a title. I want you to write this down. Here's the title of our topic this morning, Happy or Holy, Happy are holy, happy or holy. Let me ask you this. What are the things that make you happy? What is it when, when, when you're happy in life, what's associated with happiness? I, now listen, I'm a simple guy, okay? Simplicity. It doesn't take much to make me happy. I made a quick list, four things that make me happy. You ready? Food. And all of God's people said, uh, man, there's just something. One of my favorite phrases, especially after church, if somebody says, hey, where are we going to eat? Mm, that's like my love language. I've, I've, I've kind of learned something about myself that my happiness is proportional to my food intake. The more I eat, the happier I am. The days that I fast, whew, my attitude's not the best. Food makes me happy. Um, I enjoy exercise. How many of you, you like to work out? How many of you have a gym membership? How many of you are reminded of that gym membership every month, but you don't necessarily work out? I enjoy exercise. I enjoy being active. When I eat well and when I'm active, I'm a happy man. Know what else I love to do? I love to preach. I love it. I love being able to teach God's word. You know, I, I love being able to get into the scriptures and, and discover all the mysteries of, of God's word and his will for us. I love to eat. I love to work out. I love to preach. And I love to snuggle. <laughs> Write that down, babe. Write that down. When I talk about happiness and holiness, I know there, there are probably certain thoughts that are attached to this. I, I want to be clear. God is not the enemy 
of happiness. He's not. Sometimes we unfairly mischaracterize God's nature. I kind of grew up in a context where I always felt that God was upset. I always felt that the Lord was looking down in disapproval. That that, that if you could imagine the face of God, he always had the furrowed brow and was always kind of arms crossed, just kind of waiting for me to mess up. Now, maybe that's not your, your, your picture of God. I hope it's not. Uh, but sometimes we mischaracterize God, and then we spend our entire lives operating off of a wrong picture of who God is. I think A.W. Tozer said the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. And if you have an inaccurate picture of the character and nature of God, you could spend your entire life responding to God in the wrong way. Can I have a good amen? How are we going to find out who God is? Well, you know what? God speaks like he writes. What does the book say about God? I think God is the happiest being in the universe. I really do. Ain't nobody going to out-happy God. And if God is the happiest being in the universe, I think God's people ought to be a reflection of that happiness. Can somebody help me today? Super important. Genesis chapter 2, what we're seeing here, God created this paradise called Eden. In this perfect world, sinless perfection, God looked at everything he had created and he put his stamp of approval on it. The scripture says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 16, but the Lord God warned Adam, you may freely eat. Somebody say freely eat. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. I like that. From, from Jump Street, God's talking about food. And he's saying, freely eat. Come on, does that make anybody else happy? Now, I know you say, well, wait a second. There, there's, a, there's a warning here. God's warning Adam. But I want you to see within the warning, there's a whole lot of freedom here. What is God telling Adam in this paradise called Eden? He's saying, I want you to look at all the goodness. I want you to see the variety. I want you to see the beauty and the splendor of what I've created. And I want you to help yourself to happiness. Come on now. See, a lot of times we interpret God through the things we're not supposed to do. We'll get to that in just a second. All right. Sometimes we fixate on all the things that we shouldn't do, and we measure our Christianity by what we don't do. And yet God's saying here in the very first instruction, this warning to Adam, he's saying, help yourself to happiness. I mean, how many of you, you just love to eat and eat everything you want, and you never have to worry about your clothes getting tight? (laughs) Guess what? Adam and Eve didn't even have to worry about clothes. Come on, somebody. No laundry. Can somebody say, thank you, Jesus? You know it was paradise. You could eat what you want. Don't have to worry about clothes. Every tree, he says, you may eat freely of every tree in the garden, verse 17, except, somebody say except, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, God's telling Adam and Eve, Help yourself to happiness. But there are some boundaries here 
that I'm giving you. And it's not for your restriction, it's for your protection. Come on now. When God says thou shalt, he's saying help yourself to happiness. When he says thou shalt not, he's saying don't hurt yourself. And then here comes the serpent. And you know what he does? He says, did God really say? How many of you know that the enemy of your soul wants to create questions about what God has made clear? I think that's the culture that we're living in today. I think culture tries to confuse what God has made very clear in his word. The enemy wants you to question, did God really say? And cast a shadow on the character and nature of God. Listen, Adam. Listen, Eve. God doesn't want what's best for you. He wants what's less for you. You see, God's not into your happiness. He's trying to hold you back. Come on, somebody. The enemy wants you to interpret God as holding you back from happiness. And yet God is telling Adam and Eve, help yourself to happiness, but don't hurt yourself. I love what Rick Bizet said years ago. He said, if Adam and Eve were Cajun, we wouldn't be in this mess. Because they would have eaten the snake and not the fruit. Come on, somebody. And all the Cajuns said, uh, who's going to eat fruit when you can kill the snake and eat it? Make a pair of boots out of them. Come on. And so you know what happens Eve sees the fruit, it's delicious, and she convinces Adam to eat, and they both eat, and of course, the scripture says, God shows up, says, Adam, where are you? I think that may be the question to some of us today. God's asking you, hey, where are you? Not because he's confused, but maybe you're confused. Not because he doesn't know where you are, maybe you don't know where you are. And then Adam begins to blame well, Lord, man, when it was just me and you, remember when it was just us, everything was fine. But the woman that you gave me, notice how he's not only blaming the woman, he's blaming God who made her. How many know it's easy for us to blame when we're caught? Nobody wants to take responsibility when they mess up. The scripture says that God came and, he, and a curse fell upon the ground and God cursed the serpent and, and then there was a blockade to this garden called paradise. And the scripture says in Genesis 3:24, after sending them out of the garden, the Lord stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the garden of Eden and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, in the first three chapters of Genesis, we learn so much about the character and nature of God. We see the deceptiveness of the tempter, of Satan himself. We see the sinfulness of man, and yet we see the redeeming purpose of the Lord. I want you to see this. Every endeavor that we have to find happiness is our attempt to get back to the Garden of Eden. When we chase happiness, we're trying to find that paradise that we were banned from at the beginning of time. We're trying to get back to Eden. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, let's talk about the illusion of happiness. The illusion 
of happiness. I know in our own Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson said, we were endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable, unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. Now, notice I said this, God is not the enemy of happiness, but you've got to be careful when you're just chasing after happiness. In fact, Solomon, probably the smartest man to ever live. We get wisdom from his Proverbs. You know, he was one of the greatest kings in all of Israel. People would travel far distances to hear his wisdom. God blessed his kingdom. Solomon had it all. He had everything at his disposal. And look at what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 9. Solomon says these words, I became greater than all who had ever lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted... I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But look at what it says in verse 11. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Now, this is Solomon. And I know probably the collective wisdom in this room and those that are watching at our campuses, you could probably tally all of our knowledge and intellect and still not begin to scratch the surface of what God had blessed Solomon with. And he says, I withheld nothing. I chased anything I wanted. He had all the gold, he had all the glory, and he had all the girls. Come on, somebody. He married 700 women. Solomon, for you to be a smart guy, bad idea. And on top of 700 wives, he had 300 girlfriends. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that right. I'm going to leave that alone. Are you kidding me? And he says, after every pursuit, I wanted to do what made me happy. What did he conclude? It's like chasing the wind. You ever, you ever try to chase the wind? Can you get a picture? I'm going to make myself look really awkward right now. What does it look like chasing the wind? You don't know where the wind comes from. And you don't know where, where it's going. Cameraman's having a hard time keeping up. Come on, right here, right here. Keep it right, uh-uh, uh-uh. Y'all didn't know 6'2", 200 pounds could be so nimble. Oh, I can't even catch my breath right now. Chasing the wind. You know, sometimes we say, I'll be happy when. Okay, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? I was in high school thinking, I'll be happy when I can graduate. Get out of school, man. I don't want teachers telling me what to do. No more homework. Get out of school, then what? Ooh, I got to get a J-O-B. I think I'll go back to school. <laughs> go to college. Man, get my degree. Oh, now I'm educated. I'll be happy when I can get out of college. And you get out of college and you got to do something with all that education. 
You're happy when I get a job. You get a job and you're thinking, what? My boss telling me what to do. They don't appreciate what I do around here. I bring more value than what they see. I need more money. You start making a little more money, get that promotion. You think, man, I'll be happy when I get somebody to share all of this money with. So then you get married. <laughs> Somebody said single people are sad and married people are mad. <laughs> you get married and man, well, that doesn't really, ah, it's something to miss. I know I'll be happy when I have kids. <laughs> then God gives you kids. I'll be happy when these kids grow up, get out my house, get off my payroll. Come on, somebody. Bye. And it's like, man, this house is so big, so empty. I know I'll be happy when I have grandkids. Let me ask you this. When are you going to be happy? Some of you are chasing the wind. You're chasing what's next and you're never satisfied with what's now. Come on, somebody. Jim Carrey, I thought this was interesting. Jim Carrey, the, the actor, said this, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that's not the answer. It's not. Solomon said it's, I need, I need oxygen up here, man. I need to incorporate some cardio in my workout. Solomon said, there's an illusion to happiness. It's just like chasing the wind. Seeking happiness is not a sin, but when you seek it apart from God. Let's look at the pursuit of holiness. What does it mean to be holy? What does a holy person look like? When I say he's holy or she's a holy person, what comes to your mind? Who can be holy? Missionaries? Monks, Mother Teresa, is it possible for you to be holy? If someone were to describe you in three words, would holy be one of them? 2 Corinthians 7, Paul said this, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work toward complete Holiness. Somebody say holiness. Let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. You know, the word holy in, in Scripture, it's found over 900 times. The word holy literally means to cut or to separate, to set apart. Now, when we talk about holiness, and, and, and I want to drill down on this because I think this is going to help us. We understand the illusion of, of happiness, but God's wanting to show us something about the pursuit of holiness. There is a position of holiness that we receive when we say yes to Jesus. Somebody say position. Now, I'm going to talk about the practice in just a moment, but for, for right now, I want to talk about the position of being holy. Holiness, it starts in the heart. It is a heart issue. Here's the thing. When you and I recognize our need for God, 
Maybe some of you came to a knowledge of Christ at an early age. Maybe some of you, out of great pain and brokenness and sorrow, you found yourself empty of everything and in desperate need of God. When you say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, you know what happens at that moment? The presence of Almighty God comes to dwell inside of you. And then there's this big word called justification, justified. You immediately become cleansed of all of your filthiness, all of your guilt, all of your shame, all the things that your sinfulness had accumulated. God says, you know what? I'm going to cancel the debt. Can somebody say, thank you, Jesus? In a moment, now you are positioned before God as holy. Now, that has nothing to do with what you've accomplished. It has everything to do with what Jesus has accomplished for you. Consider the thief on the cross. Can we talk about him for a minute? I I'm so glad this is included in Scripture. There's no telling the resume of this thief, but he's dying there next to the hope of the world. One of the criminals is mocking Jesus and saying, if you really are Jesus, get off the cross and get us off this cross too. But the other criminal says, are you crazy? How dare you disrespect? Don't you fear God? Here, we're about to die. We deserve what we're getting. But this man is innocent. He did nothing. And in that moment, this thief turns to Jesus and says, Lord, Remember me. When you enter into your kingdom, don't forget about me. And Jesus looked at him with eyes of love and says, Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Think about it. This criminal didn't say the sinner's prayer. This criminal didn't join the church or go through next steps. Criminal didn't get water baptized, didn't go on an outreach, didn't get to serve his community, never shared his faith with anyone. Can you imagine when this criminal enters into heaven and people look at him and be like, how? How did you get here? And this thief says, I don't know, but it was that middle man on the cross that said I could come in. It was just as if he had never sinned. You see, there is a position of holiness that we receive when we say yes to the Lord. You know, your children, how many parents do we have in house? Your children are born into your family. They're born into it. How many of you know they don't audition for it? Yeah, it, 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 there's nothing that they do to enter into your family other than being born. And it's the same with the family of God. When you say yes to Jesus, you are born again. You are a son and a daughter by birth and not by worth. 
See, sometimes we're trying to, are we worthy enough to be in the family? And Jesus says, if I've washed you, if I've cleansed you, if I live inside of you, you are holy by position. You say, Mike, what about the prodigal son? He, he, he made a mess of things. Yes, he did. But God wasn't trying to pay him back. He was trying to bring him back. And he didn't stop being a son even though he was in the pig pen. God used the pig pen to get his attention to bring him home and get him back into fellowship. You see, he never lost relationship. He was still a son, but he was out of fellowship. See, somebody say position. Now somebody say practice. You see, holiness starts in the heart position, but then it has to move into our habits. It has to move into our practices. I love this verse in Philippians 2. Verse 12, check this out. The last part of verse 12 says this. Work out, somebody say work out. There you go, that's a word from the Lord right there for somebody. Lord, I just need a word. Here's your word, work out. <laughs> work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it's God who works in, somebody say work in. Notice how this happens. It's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This is awesome. This is one of my favorite verses. Notice how the scripture says work out because God has worked in. When God does a work, you see, holiness is not necessarily about externals first. It's about the condition of your heart. It's about saying yes to Jesus, and that's where God has worked in. In you. So from that place, we work out our, the, the decisions of our faith are applied in every arena of life. Work out your own salvation with respect and reverence for God. Why? Because it's God who's working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. One translation says it this way, because it's God who works in you giving you the motivation and the power to do what pleases him. You see, God's going to, when you say yes to Jesus, your motivation changes. Now, my desire is not to please myself. I want to do what pleases the Lord. So if I'm single and I'm dating, I want to do not what pleases myself. I want to do what pleases the Lord. Lord, how can I please you in my dating relationship? If I'm married and raising kids, I don't do things according to my desires. But now I'm thinking, Lord, what is it that's pleasing to you? God gives you the motivation and desire. And not just the motivation and desire, but he also gives you the power to do what's pleasing to him. So holiness starts on the inside, but it works its way outwardly into every area of our lives. With my finances, I'm not doing what pleases me. God, what is it that's going to please you and how I spend my money? What is it that's pleasing you in how I raise my children? What is it that's pleasing you in my work ethic at my job? Every area of life, we say, God, what is it that's pleasing to you? And not only do we have the desire to please him, but then we have the power to accomplish what's pleasing to the Lord. Can somebody say amen? amen. When Rachel and I got married, July 27th, 1996, great day. 
awesome day. Man, I dated her for four years, and I was ready to spend the rest of my life with her. We made promises in the annex, that building on the front of this property, back in 1996. We stood on a stage. We held each other's hands. We looked deeply into each other's eyes, and we pledged our hearts to one another. When I said, I do, you know what came with I do? A lot of I don'ts, right? If you're married, you understand, I've pledged myself to one person. Now, there's 8 billion people on the planet. About half of those are women. When I said yes to that woman, I said no to 4 billion other women. You say, well, man, that's kind of restricting. What's the deal with all those boundaries? I mean, for, it's got to be that way? How many know it's not going to work out well for me if I say, baby, look, of all the women in the world, you're number one on my list. But there is a list. <laughs> How many know sweet little Rachel would say, I will cut you? <laughs> she ain't having it. Now, you say, well, man, that, that, that doesn't sound fair. I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. I wasn't bummed by the boundaries. I was motivated by love. You see, my desire had changed. It was tied up in one woman. And it's the same thing when you say yes to Jesus. Listen, here's the problem with most people. They don't want to marry Jesus. They want to date him. I just believe in having an open relationship. And so just enough of Jesus to... Make me happy, but not too much where I start feeling bound. I don't know, man. I, I can dabble in the things I want to over here, and man, but it's okay because Jesus understands we're in this open relationship, and He's like, no, 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 no. It's either I am Lord of all or I'm not Lord at all. When you marry Jesus, you say, man, I'm all in to do what pleases Him. Can I have a good amen? Three important questions to ask. Oh, I gotta, oh, I gotta hustle. That clock is so disrespectful. <sighs> okay, let me give you three important questions. You say, okay, what is it that, that because we, again, we have to apply holiness in the decisions that we make. Here are three important questions that I ask before I do anything. First of all, is this number one, what does the Bible say? When I'm about to do something, I need to be informed in what the scriptures have to say. I, I'll tell you this, I don't trust my feelings. I don't. I don't trust my feelings. How many know your feelings can deceive you? We say this all the time, oh, just trust your heart. Don't you dare trust your heart. <laughs> Jeremiah 17, 9, the Bible says the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Don't trust your heart. Man, it, you know why? Because we can deceive ourselves, can't we? We're all like the man who was on a diet, and he was driving by the bakery, and he says, Lord, if it's your will for me to get a donut, when I drive by this bakery, let there be a parking spot right out front. Sure enough, his seventh time around the bakery, a parking spot opened up. Come on, can I have a good amen? Don't trust yourself. Don't trust culture. Trust God's word. You want to be holy, you're about to make a decision, first of all, say, Lord, what does the Scripture say? 
Second of all, ask this, what's the wise thing to do? What's the word say? And then what does wisdom say? You say, well, I can't find a scripture that's against it, so that must mean God is for it. Time out, time out, time out. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. What's the wise thing to do? Based on past experiences, based on current realities, and future hopes and dreams, apply wisdom to that relationship. Apply wisdom to that decision about your children and who they spend time with and the movies that they watch. Apply wisdom as it relates to technology and access that you have. What's the wise? First of all, what does the scripture say, number one? Second of all, what's the wise thing to do? And then the third question that I ask is this. Will this hurt my anointing? Will this hurt my calling? Say, Mike, that's kind of a churchy word. What do you mean, anointing? You know what the anointing of God is? I'm going to ask the band to come up. I've, I've run out of time. You know what the anointing of God is? The anointing of God is the presence of his spirit on your life helping you to accomplish a specific assignment. Here's what this means to me as a pastor. Because there are a lot of great public speakers. But it's one thing to give a speech. It's another thing to proclaim God's word. And I know that I don't have the gifting or the natural talent to do this in my own strength. You know the truth about your pastor is? The anointing is all I have. That's all I got. I'm not the who's who of the Christian zoo. I don't have the, the talent, the capacity, the natural ability. I'm weak. I'm fragile. I'm limited. I struggle. And I pray, Lord, give me your anointing to do what you've called me to do. I don't want to participate in sinful behavior that will hurt the anointing of God on my life. Because I just can't, I can't do without his anointing. If I'm going to fulfill my calling, if you're going to fulfill your calling, you're going to have to be graced with the Holy Spirit to anoint you to do it well. Happiness, there's an illusion to it. Holiness is something we should pursue. Let, let me give you this final thought. If you chase happiness, you'll never find it. But if you pursue holiness, you'll get both. You with me? That's the happiness of the pursuit. We're, we're happy in our pursuit of Christ's likeness. Why? Because God has not only changed my desires, but he's giving me the power to do what pleases him. You know what? You can be happy today. You can leave this building today with a sense of peace in your heart and fulfillment in your life, knowing that the blood of Jesus covers you. And maybe some of us are here today and we need to repent of some things. Maybe there's some areas of your life that aren't pleasing to God. Guess what? We say this every Sunday. I'm not perfect, but I serve the one who is. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.